0: Thank you. Worship team, good morning to you. Good morning. morning. Okay, you are awake. It's 11 o'clock. You've had breakfast and coffee. It's time to get in the Word. If you have your Bibles, let's open them or turn them on to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you are a guest this morning, we do say a special welcome to you. We are grateful you're here and once again We say happy Father's Day to those uh, that are here and uh, that are dads. Um, We want to take a look this morning at biblical masculinity and lean in and listen to God's principles and truth. And so I'd invite our our sisters and our ladies to to lean in as well, to see these things, to affirm these things in our men and for our men to lean in and listen um, and ask God to teach cultivate these things in us this morning. If you're new to Christianity, maybe you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair there. And so we want to encourage you to take that. That's a gift uh, to you from us. And so we'd love for you to have that. We're going to be on page 962. 962. And as you go there, the larger number is the chapter. That's uh, 16. And then you'll scroll down to the verse, which is 13. And that's where we'll be. We'll be verse 13, verse 14. And so we're grateful again uh, for God's grace to us. And so let's um, read this word and let's uh, let the word read us. In one sense, let's get in it in hopes that it gets in us. And so here we go. Verse 13, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, the church at Corinth um, is in somewhat of a mess. And so he has written uh, two letters to them. And this is what we have these final instructions to this church. And so this morning, we're gonna take these principles, these truths from Corinthians and then holistically unpack from Genesis uh, and other places this morning, some principles about biblical manhood, okay? So verse 13, it says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong, let all that you do Be done in love. Let's pray. Father, we read these few words and yet powerful words and ask that by your great grace that you would help us to see, to understand, to learn, and ultimately, Lord, not just be informed, but be be transformed this morning by the power of your word and the hope of the gospel that we have. And so we pray these things in Jesus' great name amen and amen. Well, I remember specifically 16 years ago, um, I came home. It was a midweek. I came home. I walked into the kitchen. I uh, gave my wife a big hug and a big kiss as we normally do. And um, there's an incredible spread on the table. And, and that's not uncommon. My wife's an amazing cook. Uh, but this particular, I knew there was something about this particular meal and, and as I moved closer to the table, I noticed uh, the complexities of the things that were on the on the table. Um, it, it was it an was amazing meal. It was uh, baby carrots, uh, baby greens, and baby back ribs. And I began to look at these things, and I began to think, man, this is going to be a great, great night. I, I sat down, and I began... So look, my wife's glowing, as she often does. And she's asking a few probing questions. Um, what do you think about the meal? I'm like, it's good. I love it. Uh, she begins to um, ask a few other questions. Do you, do you see anything unique uh, about it? Nope, it's good. <laughs> uh, she asks a few more questions. I'm like, man, listen, I'll take some more of the ribs. Uh, they're, they're amazing. And not knowing there's a theme going on at the table... Uh, totally oblivious to that because I was hungry. Um, she then has to move to the point of bringing out a bib that says on it, you're going to be a dad, right? And I look up, I have rib juice all over my chin, <laughs> all over my face. And what? We rejoice. I'm like, Am, I the first? Am I the first to know this? And she's like, well, actually not <laughs> um, I got really hungry, um, and I went to Cracker Barrel and had lunch, and I told the waitress there. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, Okay, good, good. And we began to rejoice and celebrate Joshua David Owen as our first. As I ponder that, and I totally miss the point, I think our culture, and unfortunately many of our churches, has missed the point of masculinity. They've missed the point of God's intention and design for man and manhood. We're in a a culture that's full of confusion, full of chaos. There's a lack of clarity around what a man is to be, why God created him. I mean, think about our culture and its confusion and churches that are sometimes quiet and media that mocks and sitcoms that unfortunately... Paint portraits of men. Think, think about the, the status today of men in our culture, right? 94% of the DUIs in our country are by men. 93% of those in prison are men. 88% of robberies are by men. Gender, gender is the greatest predictor of crime in our day and time which is sad. When we hear of Orlando's tragedy and the others that have taken place, our first thought, we're not, when we hear that news and maybe it comes through uh, uh, an app that you have or the, the TV's on, when you hear that news, the first question that comes to our mind is not this. It's the first question is not, I wonder who she is that did this. That's not, that's, It's not even on the radar. Our first question is, I wonder who he is, right? Listen, scriptures paint a portrait of masculinity as God intended. And I'm convinced, listen, everyone lean in here. I'm convinced the only way to attain this is not to work harder at it, but to be rescued in it by the gospel, The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not advice, it's news. It's good news in a bad news world that in our sin, God sent his son. He didn't leave us in this state. He sent his son when the fullness of time had come. He sent forth his son to live a life that you and I could not live, a perfect sinless life to meet the standard that God required. And then for the punishment that is on humanity for those who can't meet that standard, death, right? He ends up taking that as well. And so he's, he's just in one sense and he's the justifier in the other in Jesus. And Christ comes, he takes God's wrath on a cross. He's buried and then he is risen victoriously. He's raised victoriously on the third day. And when he ascended, he sent his spirit and the spirit of God, when you repent and place your faith and trust in Christ, it comes in, it doesn't patch up the heart. It doesn't band-aid the heart, it, it recreates a new heart. This is what happens in the gospel, right? And then there's power that we have access to, to live as God has designed for us to live. And so in the gospel, there's great hope, not only to escape God's wrath, but to endure everyday living. And so I want to show you three things this morning that the gospel empowers men to do. Three somewhat simple yet profound things this morning. For our ladies, again, this is a perspective that you can affirm that we're asking and you can also pray for as we walk through this this morning so we all can learn this morning. The first truth is this, is that the gospel empowers men to see there is a real war. Manhood recognizes there's a war and there's a need to be watchful. Verse 13 says to be watchful. See, the best way to be taken out in a war is to not realize that you are in one. In the middle of the night when the kids are making a noise across the the house and I'm trying to go down to see them and the lights are out, my eyes are open. I usually run into the wall or stump a toe, right? My eyes are open, but I can't see. And this is the culture for the most part. Eyes are open, but they can't see. Spiritual blinders have been placed Unfortunately, listen, if you and I lived in some of the war-torn nations of our world, we would never leave the house unprepared to identify the enemy and to recognize and acknowledge the seriousness of what we encounter. Think with me for a moment, the first two chapters of this incredible book called the Bible. In Genesis 1, it says that Verse 27, male and female, God created. He made both male and female in the likeness. And we unpack some of womanhood on Mother's Day. And yet we are both equal before God, yet there are specific roles given by God. And to understand manhood is only to embrace the Bible because God's the author of male and female. I mean, think about what God did after he made man. He made man in his image and then he put him in the garden to worship and to work and to be watchful. Genesis 2 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. The word keep it is a unique word in the Hebrew language. It literally means to observe and to watch. It's a word that's used of God in Psalm 146 of God watching over his people. He goes on and he says, does he not? The Lord God commanded the man saying, now, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, think about this in the heart of, of man, right? There, there, there's the propensity right, to, to not uh, do the things that we've been told to do correctly. Uh, generally, that one thing that we're told not to do is what we want to do. And of all the things that he's laid out, I mean think about that day. Think about that day. You're in the presence of God in a garden that God's built and made and you're there to work and keep it and worship and enjoy his presence to be with him. Then he creates a, your wife and makes your wife and you and your wife there are there unclothed. There's no guilt or shame. It's just beauty and abundance. And then you're naming the animals. Right? Hello, lion. <laughs> Hello, tiger hello bears, right? You've na- you're, you're given the task to name these things and to rule over these things. And yet there's that one thing that gnaws at our heart that we can't do that we want to do because we've been told that we couldn't. And, and so th- this, is, this is what's happening there as it unfolds in Genesis three in complete, complete chaos takes place, right? In Genesis three, we know this, this Verse six, the, the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise and she took of it and she ate and she also gave some to her husband. Notice these four unfortunate words, who was with her, who was with her. Now it's interesting, right? Because most believe and some in theological circles, think was, was it Eve that sinned first? Was it Adam? I'm convinced that Adam probably sinned first because of his passivity and not stepping in and stomping out the serpent's head. I mean, think about this, how how the enemy comes, right? He comes in forms of whispers and lies. He came in the form of whispering a lie. And what he's doing is he's questioning. This is the way it even happens today. He questions God's word. The first question in the Bible was a, a, a question of questioning God's word and what he said. Did God really say not to eat from that one? oh, don't you know that when you do, you'll be like him? See, they weren't content with being with God. They wanted to be like God. They, they're, they're, they're pushed and, and, and lied to through a whisper in one sense that no, this will be good for you. And we think that God's holding out on us oftentimes when we yield and give in to these lies that come instead of adhering and listening to God's word, And so in passivity, Adam doesn't step forward, he steps back and then he partakes and eats as it's given. No, he's not, he's not hungry for, for holiness, he's just hungry and takes some. And so where are a men to be watchful? It's, it's fascinating that even in, in Genesis, as he's not watchful at that moment, in Genesis 3, 9, that God comes and he actually calls for Adam to give an account for the chaos that has just taken place. Where are we to be watchful? I think there's four areas. The first is is the passivity that we harvest, right? The passivity that we harvest. We we tend to not take the initiative as, and and we have to look, run to the cross quickly here, right? Because God took the initiative with us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And so God, the gospel, the spirit of God empowers us to not be lazy and to... Passive and, and take the initiative. Take, for example, when you go on vacation, right? I would for years, just bought into this mindset that the vacation is, is a time to go and just veg and relax. And there is a component of that. But as the children were born and we're at the ocean and swimming and stuff, there's this propensity to just never wanna take the initiative and be passive and yet to be active in serving the family, right? One writer says that we should be more exhausted coming home from vacation by the way we served our families. than than when we even come home from work at times. There's a passivity that we harvest, that we cultivate, that was not God's intention at all. There's positions that we hold, right? Men tend to find identity in in what we do and instead of who we are as a child of of God. And so these positions we we go after hard are these possessions that that we have that that we accumulate. We accumulate these things and we find comfort in possessions and and we find this confidence in in these positions that we hold because of certain titles. And, And listen, the reality of that it can become idolatrous, it can become, and what, what, this is what idols do, right? If, if, if a position that you're laboring for, for certain title or a possession that you're working hard to, to accumulate, to think that's gonna fill some void in your life, if those become idols and you work diligently to get both of those, what's gonna happen is twofold. One, if you do obtain these things, if you do obtain this title in the workplace, if you do obtain these possessions, right? They're never gonna fully satisfy you. Matter of fact, I believe by the end of the night, the buzz is worn off. And, and what happens is you're never fully satisfied. And then the other thing is the position that you desire so bad that if you don't ever get and the possession that you've got to have but you never get, if you don't, if you fail to get those, they'll never forgive you. They'll, they'll haunt you most of your life if you make an idol out of them and you make them ultimate, Right? And the only one who fully satisfies and forgives when we fall short is the King Jesus. He's the only one, right? And so as men, there's a passivity we harvest. There's, a, there's positions that, that we run after and possessions we have. There's also pornography that we hide, right? The, the lie that is in pornographic material that is everywhere in our culture is that it's an escape from reality. But in reality, it's an enemy that puts you in bondage. Listen, pornography will always take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you're willing to stay and cost you more than you could ever imagine. And let me come alongside, because my heart goes out to the next generation of men who are being introduced to this stuff at elementary age by phones that are being brought into schools and neighborhoods. Listen, it's devastating. Let Let me come alongside you. There's hope. There's help Listen, listen, there, there's two things I believe that could serve those that struggle with these areas. And one is, this is that you have to starve these things because what you starve will die, but what you feed will grow. And second is you have to have the expulsive power of a new affection. Affection. Right? Thomas Chalmers years ago wrote this message, and the idea of it is, is if I had a glass full of water, there's two ways I could empty it. I could dump it out, inevitably be, to be filled with something else, or I could take that which is in it and put something of greater substance in there to move the water out. And this is what happens with our hearts, right? C.S. Lewis says we're, we're just restless creatures that we saddle for so less of sex and ambition When there's an, we're like kids making mud and mud pies. When there's an infinite sea, vast as the ocean waiting. In the gospel, in Christ, in Christ, when he comes and you yield to the lordship of Jesus and he takes hold of the affections of your heart, there's an expulsive power there that then starts to remove these things that so easily entangle us. Listen, there's hope in the gospel to be watchful in these areas. Listen, our culture today, I want to share this with you and show this to you, but our culture today, right, is sort of like these chairs. And in these chairs, right, this chair, the bottom one represents the world, and this top chair represents humanity. All of humanity is is, is born. We're living. we're, We're born into the world. We're born as sinners. We don't we're not, we're not born as young babies, and then the first day we tell a lie, we become a liar. We're born liars that one day eventually will lie. This is the nature of the DNA that's been downloaded from Adam all the way to us in the human heart. The capacity is there, and we're born sinners. And yet, in God's grace, he, he loves us. He didn't leave us here, and so he sent Christ to rescue us, and so he calls us out of the world right, and to himself, and he doesn't patch things up. He makes all things new. He gives a new heart, right? There's a new identity in a sense. We're a new creature, Corinthians teaches. And then as he does that, that theological term is called justification. It's like at the courtroom and the judge says, you're justified. We're saying that. That means God's righteousness is imputed to us, and now we're no longer enemies but friends of God. And then the rest of our life, right, we're trying to head toward God and we're trying to get home in a sense and endure this hard race that we run with this identity that he's given to us as his children. And what happens is it's God who is holy and perfect and awesome. We tend to keep our identity, but the world continues to hate God and the things of God and it moves away from God. And we tend to drift, but we keep our identity. And this is what happens in, in, our, in our culture. It happen, uh, happens in churches. They move away from God's word. They move away from his truth. They move away from his principle. And when you do that, you can, sometimes the danger of all this, right, it, it's not just a drop off, it's a drift, right? When you're at the ocean this summer on vacation and you look up and you think somebody stole all your stuff <laughs> and it's about a half mile down because you drifted with the current, all right? this is This is what happens. And we have to be intentional and take the initiative to follow after him because he's come after us. And so this morning, listen, listen. Men, let's lift your your heads. Let's lift our heads because there was a man named Adam who was not watchful in that first garden, but there came another man, a second Adam, that in that garden of Gethsemane, he stayed awake all night. He was watchful all night. And he drank the wrath of God's cup. And he said, if it could pass, I wish it would. But if not, if not, then your will be done. And this second Adam named Jesus the Christ, he was watchful all night long on your behalf and mine. And he took God's wrath as he, yeah, you, that's good news. That's good news in a bad news world, right? And he was watchful to the point of the cross where he set his gaze and set his focus and set his face toward a hill called Calvary, right? And he comes and he, he was watchful. Oh, because he was watchful and he sent his spirit to indwell us when we repent and trust and place our faith. We can be watchful. There's power that we have to be watchful of the reality of the war around us. So, men, listen, listen. Let's see. Let's see the war and let's sprint to Jesus. Let's sprint to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him. He endured the cross. Sisters and ladies, listen, please pray. Pray for our men as they plow through this war. Notice the second truth quickly the gospel empowers men to not only see, but also to stand firm in belief and strive forward in behavior. The gospel empowers men to stand firm in belief and strive forward in behavior. Notice the text, it says to stand firm in the faith. God is the one who calls us, us to believe and gives us faith and plants us and causes us to be born again to a living hope, 1 Peter teaches. And before, listen, you, you stand in faith, you have to be saved to faith. And so as he does this work of salvation in us, right, he then places our feet on a firm rock and, and he calls us to to, to stand firm in it, not to be firm with it, not to be firm with it, but to stand firm in it. It produces compassion and humility, not compromise. No, no. Colossians says it like this: Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, that's by faith, so walk in Him by faith, right? Rooted. Root it and built up. Before you can be built up, you have to go down. And so the root systems and faith, you're going firm in what you believe and why you believe it and understanding and growing and theological understanding. This is why it's so perplexing sometimes for our young people who who complain about some hard teachings and yet they're doing advanced calculus. (laughs) You can handle a few doctrine points, right? Listen, listen, root it. Rooted and built up, the trees that stand firm have strong roots. And I believe one of the one of the roots one of the roots that goes deep and needs to go deep in the lives of of Nana is repentance. The idea of repentance of turning from sin and turning to God. This isn't at the point of salvation. This is the a way of life. Martin Luther, as he wrote the ninety five theses and nailed them there on the the castle door, to really initiate the Protestant Reformation. The first one is that the Christian life is a life of repentance. When we fall short, we repent. And, and it's, 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 it's simple but profound because God is so quick to forgive in his love and in his kindness. And I, as I'm trying to cultivate this, it is hard a lot of times for men to admit that they're wrong and that they're off. And, and I've been, I don't know if I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm enduring some more repentance than I ever thought I would in my parenting skills, Right. Oh my, what a way God shapes you and molds you, right? I remember one day, the hour of sanctification for the Owen family is every morning before school, right? We're trying to get four meals, four breakfasts, four lunches, uh, four kids dressed, trying to get them ready for the day of school. And, and it's, sometimes it's... it's, 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 it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just where I'm like, how do we, we got to get this done? I'm trying to share some word with them, get teeth brushed. Do you have deodorant on? I smell something. And I mean, just like all of this crazy. And so this particular day, I'm getting, I feel anger. I just feel angry coming up in me, welling up in me. And we're I'm putting them in the, in the car and I'm just frustrated. Right. And so I back out of the driveway and in our neighborhood, I squeal the tires with a minivan. <laughs> right. like that's manly or something right it's a v6 3.5 right front wheel drive and and i'm like it's, and, and i'm flying i have to slow down because it's 25 right i'm just not speeding i'm trying to get to 25 real fast right there's a difference <laughs> hello uh, and 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 then i'm pulling into school on two tires and 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 and, and i don't even want to put it in park i just want to slow down and open the side doors right push them out. Hopefully there's no injuries and, uh, and they're on time. And, and so I pull away and I'm like, I just want to go home and read the Bible <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and drink some coffee and relax. I just want to have 10 minutes of relaxation. Come on, Lord, that's not too much. And he's like, no, you need to turn around and go back and pull your, your son out and apologize. I'm like, Lord, no, no, I can handle that after school, like in the house. He's like, no, nah, uh-uh. I want you to turn around and go before you start your day. And uh, the way you spoke to your boy wasn't what I desired. And that's not the way I speak to you as my son. And so I want, to, I want you to go and repent. At school? <laughs> so I go... And can you pull my son out of class? I need to talk to him. Go down to what's that? Son, get down on my knee. Hey buddy. Dad dad messed it up this morning. I know you thought it was cool spill a tire with a Man, but uh that that wasn't I didn't do it right. So forgive me, I'm sorry. Big embrace, big hugs. The sweetness and peace of soul. It comes when you repent. So may we be a generation of men. It doesn't come easy, right? This this is hard. I mean it's it's hard for for men to follow instructions, to take direction, right? I, I mean just just a couple of weeks ago I just I get this new grill at the and, and my my grill's caved in, it's rusted and so I go to Lowe's. I just like going to Lowe's. I don't know, makes you feel like a man. You just walk through the place. I don't know how to use most of the tools in the place. I'm just like, man, that looks that looks like I don't know what they do with that. And so I'm just walking through this grill, right? It's um it's it's the last one on the floor, which I love and it's the last one because they reduce the price and I don't have to put one together, (laughs) amen? And so so I I get this and I throw it in the car. I only have to take two screws out to get the top off and I can handle two screws on the top. And so I bring it home, I get it set up, it's on the back, I'm getting ready to have a man moment and light the grill and, and I go up to it and I hit the igniter and nothing works, right? I'm just become frustrated. I'm already going through my mind. I've got to reload it, take it back. It's a floor model. There's a reduction of price and so something's wrong with it. Some Kids been messing with it, right? And it doesn't work. And then the wise one in the family, my wife, walks outside and opens the directions. <laughs> Hello, right? Opens the directions and says, "Honey, it needs a double A battery in the igniter." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, 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 it needs a double A battery to put in the igniter, so when you push it, it sends something down there, right? I, I got that, I can, go get, I, can go to, I can go get some batteries, I can handle that. I'm like, I should have just opened the book and looked at the instructions, right? And listen, this is, this is what our culture is full of. It's full of, of assembled men that have no power in them. I mean, they look like they have it all together. Looks like it's going to work greatly. And inside, there's no Holy Spirit power. Much less a double A battery. Right? Oh, listen. Listen. Oh, that, that God, God would raise up a generation of men who yield to the Spirit of God. Because look, if the grill doesn't fire up, there's no food coming off that grill. Right? And so the Lord, in His kindness, by His Spirit, would create in us a new heart. And we yield, and we walk with him. There's fruit that will come out of a life that's connected to King Jesus by his spirit. Listen, there's some that encouraged me over the years that have stood firm in the faith. One is named John Rogers. John Rogers was the first of those who were martyred by Queen Mary. You know, Queen Mary, in history lessons, she was known as Bloody Mary for a reason because she had martyred so many that believed the word and the gospel, and the first of those who were martyred were named as a guy's named by John Rogers. He's preaching the gospel and holding firm and standing firm in the faith. He was imprisoned for one year before his day of going to the stake, and before that day, as they brought him out to march him down the street, and in the shadow of the church of which he used to pastor and preach, he saw his wife and nine children on that street there, and the son she was holding, who he had not yet met. Because of his imprisonment. And as he heads, they're asking him, does he want to recant and and renounce and turn away from these things he's teaching from the scriptures. And this is what he says. He says, listen, what I have preached for all these years, I will seal with my blood. Looking at his 10 kids. You say, man, pastors have taken these stance, but, but what about others in, the, in, the, in our his, history and understanding? Yes, there are others. There's a guy who was a barber who cut hair. His name was Stephen Knight. And there was another guy named William Piggott who was a butcher and a meat shop owner in March of that same year, just a month later in 1555, who both would not remove and recant and renounce this book and were martyred by Queen Mary. Oh God, would you raise up a generation of men Stand firm in the gospel. And we believe that beliefs, beliefs about the gospel affect the behavior from the gospel. You want to know what someone believes, right? Watch them live. And so let her be. Let's strive forward in behavior. The gospel empowers us to stand firm and believe, but let's strive forward in behavior. Notice the text. The text says to act like man. What's Paul doing here is he's instructing this church and he's saying, listen, strive forward in behavior. This idea of striving forward in behavior is to grow up essentially. This is what it means. There's a time that the boy needs to sit down and the man needs to stand up. We have a generation, unfortunately, in a culture where we have boys who are taking their adolescent years into their 20s and 30s. They're boys who can shave and they can't necessarily hold a job or declare a theology or lead themselves, much less a family. See, 1 Corinthians 13 says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Oh, listen, I'm so grateful for Providence and how she's encouraged our man. And I see see young men in our student ministry, college ministry, young adult ministry that are acting like men that are laboring for the sake of the gospel, that are cultivating maturity. That's a gift from God. Listen, maturity, maturity will manifest itself, right, in, in multiple ways. It manifests itself in, in the idea of provision, right? There's something given by God to biblical masculinity that has this benevolent responsibility to provide for the sake of others, to provide, not at the expense of the ladies and our sisters not bringing anything, no, Proverbs 31, we could unpack that as we did but but there's something innately for the man to be able to want to provide. He, even in the, He's working the, the ground in the garden. He's working the ground in the garden. He's keeping it. He's watching it. He's trying to provide from the garden. Is he not? There's a maturity that manifests itself in protection in the sense of having this desire to protect for the good of culture, society, churches, families, nations. It's an emotional and spiritual protection that men should and can, by God's grace, lead in. There's a, there's a physical protection as well, right? Julie and I, on a, on a date, we're walking down the street and someone jumps out to rob us. I'm not gonna jump behind her and say, can you handle this, baby, Right? <laughs> okay. No, I mean, in my worn down body with some knees that have been surgery, I'm gonna give it all I got, right? I'm not laying in bed in the middle of the night and there's a noise downstairs. I'm not rolling over asking her to go check on it. Right? No, I'm going to go down and hopefully come back up. Right? (laughs) Listen, listen. He, the gospel empowers empowers us to stand firm and strive forward. And and notice, I love just in way of application, the text it says, "Be strong." Now, notice in verse thirteen and fourteen, there's five imperatives that Paul gives, and of those. Five, there's one that's in a passive voice, meaning this is done to us. So the word be strong at the end of verse 13 could be translated this way, to be strengthened. Because it's being done to you, I believe, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, men, let us be strengthened by the Spirit to stand and strive. And ladies, listen, pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen our men in this day and time. Well, lastly, we'll close it. the gospel empowers men, right? Not only to see and to stand and strive, but it empowers us to show love in all things, right? Our culture says that the strong men are the loudest men are the physical fit men, but the scriptures teach totally opposite, that the strong ones are those that show love by laying their life down. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend." And this is how God does it. It's amazing to be able to to see a generation of of single men and and young men and husbands and fathers to come and lay their life down for the sake of others. For, For husbands this morning, listen, Ephesians 5 says, there's 19 words there for the wives. There's 150 words there for the husbands. And he says, husbands, love your wives. And then he says, he gives us the example of how to do it as Christ did. And he gave himself Up for her. Does does the way you you, you, husbands love your wives, is it looking like you're giving up something in the way you love? Fathers, the way fathers to show love, Ephesians 6, 5, it says, look, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord right? To bring them up in this exhortation and warnings. This idea this idea of training them in such a way of what to do that's right and what not to do that's wrong and it pushing them to Jesus who rescues and redeems and makes all things right. Listen, the American dream, listen, fathers and husbands real quick. Listen, lean in. The American dream whispers that the highest bar for a father is to put a roof over the heads and food on the table. Listen, Don't, don't, how low a bar is that? Animals can do that, right? A skunk can dig out a burrow and have a roof over the head and bring some food in there. (laughs) Right? I mean, seriously. Listen, I'll take a tent and a Bible before a mansion and no word. and train, and love, and sing. And our worship times, our family worship times, <laughs> sometimes they're rough. They don't go that well sometimes. Sometimes they do. Oh, we are laboring to train them up in the glorious grace of God. Listen, listen. We can love this way. We can love this way because we've been loved that way by God Almighty and his son Christ. So men, listen, as we close, let's lay our lives down to show love in all things in order to shine the light of the gospel to all people, starting with our wives and our children. The light that shines the brightest at home shines the farthest away. And may God use a generation of men to love well, to lead well, and to get this gospel to all people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and the opportunity to open your word three different times. Thank you for the joy of, of providence and who she is and she loves your word. And I pray that you would solidify these truths, that you would forge these truths uh, deep in our hearts and that, God, you would uh, allow us to be able to, to walk this week uh, in in a way that's rooted and built up um, in, in such a way... That um, God, we would be able to stand and strive, and that we would show love in everything we do. And so, fathers, we take our even as we move into, into this time of taking our offering. We we rejoice in the goodness of what you've given to us, and so we give portions back, acknowledging that you own it all anyway. And we want to be good stewards. And so, help us, God, incline our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.